Welcome to episode 8 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio as always by my good friend, my esteemed colleague here at Grace College and Theological Seminary, my go-to guy for Mets baseball updates, <laughs> John Sloat. Yeah, no, not a lot of call for Mets baseball updates. <laughs> well... I mean, I know you're excited about the fact that uh, pitchers and catchers have reported. Have the position players reported yet? Yes, and games okay. started over the weekend. Uh, okay. I actually listened to a game on the radio on Saturday, which is uh, a lovely spring feeling to listen to baseball on the radio. So. Okay, yeah, all right. So uh, you wouldn't know it's spring by our current weather here. As I was uh, walking in today, as we're recording on this uh, fine Tuesday morning, and it's, you know, 37 and light rain. Uh, I was reminded, I was struck actually. I thought, this weather reminds me of Reykjavik from our mystery trip oh, last yeah. year. Overcast, cloudy, yes. wet, windy. Oh, it's a Reykjavik it's day. It's very for much sure. a Reykjavik kind of day. So, and mentioning that um, will prepare us for, for uh, some updates here in a minute, but uh, we should begin by noting that we uh, encourage listener participation, so you can reach out to us on uh, Twitter at V&SPod, as well as email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We did have a listener tweet at us a suggested uh, topic for us to discuss, Though we've we've and we've contemplated it, we'll we'll see. We've kicked around the possibility of of uh, addressing. There was a a bit of a a controversy at my one of my alma maters, the uh, Trinity, right? Is that where the the (laughs) political activist kind of came in? Yeah, quite at uh, good old Ohio (laughs) University down in Athens. So. Uh, thank you for that suggestion, and we will. Uh, we, we certainly welcome it, even if we don't end up going with that. We appreciate suggestions for uh, for uh, show topics and such. But we uh, also want to encourage you, if you're enjoying the show, please go ahead and give us a, a rating. As John would say, only five stars. Please. We're only interested in five stars. And so far, I think we're at like seventeen. Yeah, they're listening well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we we, we do a, accept critical feedback. Yeah. you're more than we we do accept to give it yeah, to us. Just not there. Yeah, we want the five stars. <laughs> exactly. So in any case, we we absolutely need to start, though, with a coronavirus update, because there has been breaking news, legitimate yeah. breaking news on this front. So, John, take it away. Yeah, so uh, thir- Wednesday evening, Thursday morning last week, uh, the CDC updated its level for a number of Asian countries, including Taiwan. Uh, and for Taiwan, they put the tagline, there is a parent community spread of the disease. <laughs> and what that means is that there are people who are getting the disease that do not know how they got the disease. They can't name where did they get it from uh, or anything like that. Uh, in the same breath, uh, they also, the, the government of Taiwan released a map of where all uh, of the visitors from the Diamond Princess cruise had visited in Taiwan. Okay. Uh, several, several of them were sites where we were about to go. <laughs> uh, 
so needless uh, to say, uh, we have sadly, sadly canceled that trip, as well as, I believe, uh, all of our Asia trips uh, for that, and I believe one European trip as well. Yeah. Uh, but the virus is beginning to level off, I'd say, in mainland China, but expand in other areas of the yeah. world, uh, particularly Europe recently, Iran, uh, and uh, at a few other countries, it seems to be exploding right now. Yeah. So... This will be the first spring break in how many years that you won't be in Taiwan? Six. Okay. Six. This would have been my sixth year going, so I've gone five years in a row. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's obviously disappointing, but certainly understandable in light of the situation. Yeah. And we were nervous about the quality of the trip for the students. Uh, Our understanding is that uh, in Asia, people are kind of staying home. Nobody's coming out. And yeah. if there is a meeting to be had, people are refusing to go to those. Sure. So um, what would the quality of those trips have been like if we had tried to go and interact with people there and they don't want nothing to do with us? Right, right. So there is our coronavirus update. And we'll, we'll continue to bring coronavirus updates, yes? Yeah, I, okay. I, I'm all in on that. I okay. mean, I, you are my go-to guy for the coronavirus. My level of tracking has not changed uh, since my trip has been canceled. <laughs> We appreciate that. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I, I think I was hoping that uh, as part of your role as the coronavirus correspondent for the various and sundry podcasts, do an on location, uh, an on location <laughs> report would be in the works, but apparently that's that's just not in the cards. Well, and we were secretly hoping, not hoping, but thinking, goodness, if John gets quarantined at a military base, base in California, what great content. That's going to be, yeah, that, that would have been, uh, that would have been fantastic, but. Perhaps the Lord knows best on that one. Yeah, so. yeah. So in the world of sports, uh, you know, obviously the NBA is going on. You mentioned uh, position players have reported. There's some initial spring uh, training games for Major League Baseball. And the XFL is uh, motoring on. But in terms of the sports topic for today, we, we thought that maybe it'd be good just to kick around a little bit that the NFL has made some uh, proposed changes that uh, have not been uh, put into effect. They still need to be approved by the players' union, is my understanding. And so uh, there's been a little bit of discussion about these rule, not necessarily rule changes, but just kind of structure to the season kind of changes that uh, has caused a little bit of a buzz and thought it'd be good for us to kind of weigh in on that. So so maybe we begin, Matt, with why... why? Why change the rules? Well, like why change what happens in an NFL season? Like sure. what, what's the summary of those, and then why 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 bring them about? Yeah, well, there's there's really one simple explanation: money. At yeah, the, that's at, my understanding as at well. At the end of the day, this is about money, and uh, the change the changes in view are basically can be summarized as: first, they would uh, change the regular season from sixteen to seventeen games. Interesting. And take away at least one, if not two, of the preseason games. And although there are elements of that that could be linked to, uh, you could maybe argue the case that they're linked to uh, player safety, the reality is they're about money. Yeah, I think they value each week at over a billion dollars. Right. And so the the exhibition games, the preseason exhibition games essentially, are— not money makers for the right. NFL. They don't get the national TV contracts, those sorts of things. And uh, more and more, the high-profile players are just not playing. You yeah. know, so even in the earliest ones, they maybe played 
you know, two, three series, and then the second and third and fourth string guys are out there. So uh, not the best product for the for the viewers. Stadiums don't fill up, and it's just it's just a, a money loser for the uh, NFL. So they've decided to propose this 17-game regular season schedule and to add one additional playoff team per uh, conference, if I understand that correctly, which would mean that uh, you've got one less buy now. So currently, as it stands, the top two teams in each conference get a buy the first week. That would change to eliminate only uh, eliminate one buy, so mm. that the best record team in each conference gets a buy, and then everybody else plays that first wild card weekend. And uh, so, so another question: Do they have the same amount of buys throughout the regular season? Is it still just one, or are they adding in a second? I thought I had heard they were potentially adding in a second buy. That's what I don't remember. I think there might be an extra buy uh, folded into that possibility. So I can't remember that for sure. And so that would, in theory, take the regular season or take the football season and bring it all the way instead of the first week of February all the way to the end of February. Yeah, it's it it very much extends the season. They're trying to fill the void all the way to March Madness. Yes, which you have to imagine that part of this is obviously motivated by looking at the, I think I think it's fair to say the modest success of the XFL in this current window of people are watching. It's not on the same level as the NFL, obviously. Sure. But I think there's enough that NFL owners are looking at that and saying, that should be our money. Can we fill that gap between you know, the Super Bowl and this March Madness window. Can we expand out into that a little bit and take a chunk of that ourselves? Now, one one might wonder, what do the players get in exchange for this? Right, because they're losing safety, security, th- those sorts of things. Yeah, and so extended season. And really, the, the thing that they're getting is an, a, a 1.5% increase in the total share of the revenue that the NFL earns, which might not sound like much. So they currently are at 47%. That would be bumped up to 48.5%. You think, well, is that really that much? Well, that actually, over the course of the agreement and given the money involved, means that there are literally billions of dollars included in that 1.5%. So it's not small change. It might sound like it until you understand the, the scale of money involved. So those are some of the things that uh, that are at play there. So any what, any initial thoughts you have on some of those changes? Um, yeah, a, a couple. Uh, 17 games would be the only professional sports league that has an odd number of games. Yeah, that's very strange. Um, how do you work out home and away is, is one of those uh, things that yeah. I have questions about because right now it's, uh, it's a 16-game regular season. You have eight games at home, eight games away. Right. What do you do with that extra game? Is it neutral site uh, and... The logistics of that sound like a nightmare. Right. Um, they try to do some of that with the preseason, and I think it was kind of a disaster, particularly up in. Uh, I remember Aaron Rodgers uh, playing in a game, and they didn't have one of the end zones done, or, or something like that. I was that a game in Mexico? Maybe was that perhaps I was thinking Canada for the preseason, but but okay. maybe, maybe Mexico. Um, and then, so so that's one thought. Um, and then I do know that it does – one of the parts of this is it does take 
how long uh, a player needs to play in order to get benefits for the remainder of their life, it does take that and shrink that uh, amount of time. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think that one of the one of the key pieces in that whole conversation is the lack of guaranteed contracts in the NFL. That the NBA has guaranteed contracts and I and the and Major League Baseball has guaranteed contracts. The NFL does not. And by viewership, I think the NFL is still blows both of them out of the water. Correct. Correct. And so I, I, I've seen some pushback of, wow, this is an amazing deal for the owners and the players don't get much of anything in return. The owners get their extra regular season game and the you know the move from 47 to 48.5 in terms of shared revenue is not a, not a big loss for the yeah. owners. But the players want guaranteed contracts. Now, you can understand why owners don't want guaranteed tr- contracts. Now, can you explain what a guaranteed contract is for maybe some of our less sports-savvy listeners? So from my understanding, a guaranteed contract basically means when it's signed, the amount of money in the contract is what you're going to get, regardless of whether the team doesn't want you in two or three years, you're still getting that money. It's guaranteed. It's locked in. Now, I think there are some, you know, sort of built-in escape clauses on things like, you know, if you end up committing some violent crime or something, like there can be voids to the contract. But basically, it's more or less, if you sign a contract for $48.5 million, you're getting $48.5 million. Which is not the case in the NFL, right? In the NFL, that's not the case. So even when you see these huge contracts for quarterbacks, what you'll often notice is that the the big deal is the signing bonus. Mm-hmm. That's where they want to pile the money in because that's, that's up front. Like you sign the contract, here's an immediate $20 million right now in your pocket. The rest of the contract, if the team after two years decides, you know what, that quarterback's not working out for us, we can cut him. And the contract is basically no longer valid. They, yeah. So the team has full ownership of that contract essentially so that's a big difference between say the nba and the nfl and so players in the nfl understandably want that but the owners have said that's a nightmare we don't want it yeah so the fact that the nfl doesn't have to give into that is and it feels like the players have the leverage right because the owners really want this 17th game and the players like "Mm, how about a guaranteed contract but the nfl players union is notoriously bad negotiators like yes. they, like they're just they're just miserable negotiators absolutely absolutely and so there's a lot of like uh are they going to be able to do it i don't think so yeah i don't see those guaranteed contracts i, I think the owners are going to dig their heels into the point where it's like they're not giving that up i think it would take a work stoppage for them to even consider guaranteed contracts yeah. of any kind and i did see that that baseball is planning a potential work stoppage next year yeah more fodder for the show yeah Bring yeah. it on, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, well, speaking of work stoppage. Ooh, good uh, transition. Our our main topic for the day is the whole area of work. So as we've thought about this developing progression that we've kind of found ourselves on when it comes to topics, you know, we began uh, several weeks ago talking about singleness, then we moved on to marriage, then we moved on to family last episode 
It seemed like one area that would be somewhat of a natural extension to that is the whole area of work or uh, vocation, those those kinds of things. So that's something that both of us have done a, a little bit of reading on and thinking and reflecting on when yeah. it comes to uh, how to think about this from a biblical perspective. So let's uh, let me just start with this when 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 you think about maybe cultural perceptions of mm. work yeah what do you think some of the most common cultural perceptions and you can go anywhere you want with that in terms of like whether it's different among generations whether it's different among uh different communities whether it's ethnic communities or things like that like how do you i'm just sort of leaving that open in terms of a cultural or even just yeah. from a societal view yeah, I mean, there's, there's like you said, a million different ways to go with it. Uh, probably the most natural way I go um, is to, to think about work as uh, being where I get my value and where I get my uh, um, my sense of being and understanding of who I am. So, so this is your personal perspective is what you're starting with then? Or, or are you saying you think this is a major— I think that's a major cultural feeling is okay. that—, that our, right. our work, uh, what we do, is where we mm-hmm. get a sense of value, a sense of meaning, a sense of significance. Uh, I think uh, Tim Keller would call that work as an idol. Um, and then I, think, I, then I think there's the other side of the spectrum. And I, th- I think we can tend to find those in uh, work as, work as uh, an idol in major metropolitan cities, uh, Certainly, uh, people. I generally think of people in business who who are just mm-hmm. really chasing down uh, uh, their work and and are working sixty, seventy, eighty, hundred hours a week, yeah. uh, really trying to uh, find like this is who I am, this is my purpose and my meaning. Sure. Um, and I think I think perhaps uh, generally speaking, this certainly isn't uh, all the time. We tend to find those people clustered in big cities uh, lots of times. It's probably fair. Uh, and then, and then I would say on the other side of that, Tim Keller would say that the other end of that spectrum is work as work as idle, I D L E, work as uh, uh, something to be avoided, something to uh, be done as little as possible. Uh, so uh, not seeing a, a whole lot of value in our work, getting sense of meaning, significance, and value from L- other places, and just getting out of there as quickly as possible. Right. The sort uh, of uh everybody's working for the weekend kind of mentality yes. of <laughs> yes yes so okay so here's here's my question you, you you talked about the uh kind of the the grouping together of those who see who, who pursue meaning and significance in their work uh more tending probably towards larger metropolitan areas sure do you think that there is any sort of variation across generations? Because on this show, we've talked at points about, yeah. you know, millennials or Gen Zs or boomers and that sort of thing when it comes to other areas. Do you think there is variation across these different generations in terms of their perspective on work? Yes. <laughs> um, I would... I would say, and, and these things fluctuate throughout the generations, sure, right? Absolutely. So I, I would say uh, my grandparents' generation and probably my parents' generation are are really organizing their life around work, particularly men. 
uh, have a tendency in those generations to really organize their life around work, finding their meaning, significance, and those sorts of things out of work. I would then say uh, some Gen Xers, uh, which are probably... Gosh, probably in their 40s and 50s now. So yeah. people like me is what Pe- you're saying. People like you uh, <laughs> tend to probably go the opposite di- the opposite direction with that. They probably saw their parents pour in hours and hours and hours to the office and uh, leave them at home and and not care for them and, and want, want the opposite and probably have overcorrected to the other side a little bit. D- d- does that make sense? So you're calling my generation lazy is what you're saying. Th- that's not a word I used. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. I know what you mean. Is that is that a fair is that a fair assessment? Do you think? I think there's some truth in that. Um, I'll let you finish your because I assume you're moving on to the millennials and Gen Z crowd. I'll let you finish your sort of historical or generational survey. And this is just my my right, thoughts and feelings. Take, yeah. Like I have no doubt it'll back, back this up. This is just what I've observed. And I I think millennials are probably drifting more toward uh, overwork. Um, work as idle. Uh, and I would say particularly uh, as we've seen uh, the feminist movement move forward, I think we're probably seeing more women uh, finding meaning, significance, and, uh, and value in work uh, than they ever have before. Okay. Is it a fair assessment? I think in, in broad strokes, yes. I'm going to give a little pushback on the, or maybe, maybe pushback's not the right word. Maybe it's nuancing. Maybe we'll put it that way. Yeah, that, I like that. I think one factor that, that that survey doesn't quite account for enough is the fact that when I think of my grandparents' generation, the the um, the World War II generation, basically, yeah, I think that many of them, although there was certainly a sense in which they found their meaning and significance in their work, that's that's definitely true. I also think that. They tended to get jobs more for the sense of what can I do to provide for my family that I can tolerate mm-hmm. rather than what's more common today is what are you passionate about? Yeah. And then go try to find a way to get paid for that. That's kind of the mentality that is common, I would say, among millennials and younger. Maybe in my generation, it's um, maybe not. Maybe I think there's maybe a, a transition phase there that there's some of that, but uh, more in particular, I noticed it in millennials and the Gen Zs, who, when you know, when you're talking with high school students, what do you want to do when you when when you grow up, so to speak? Like, what kind of area do you want to work in? Oftentimes, and maybe this is in part, I think you know, this is a little facetious, but it's in part, a fruit of the gospel according to Disney, right? It's the mm. follow your heart, whatever your heart tells you you want to do, like go pursue that and try to find some way to support yourself doing that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to figure out what am I passionate about and can I find a way to support myself. But I think that the flip side of that can be that it undervalues some of the professions and areas where you're like, okay, well, you might be passionate about that, but that doesn't necessarily that mean— That doesn't mean it's going to pay money. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> provide for your like, family. And, and there's a goodness about, well, yeah, I'm really passionate about photography, but I really i am not sure I could make a living doing that. 
So I'm going to work this job as a welder, which will provide good money for my family. It's good, honest work, and it provides a good standard of living for my family. And in my spare time, I can pursue photography as more of a hobby or special interest that's not paying the bills. Yeah, or even even, uh, something that's become... I think big among millennials are the side hustles, right? Uh, yes. Things that you can do on the side in order to make money. And I think of photography as potentially one of those things. Right. And I think there are all sorts of cultural factors that play into this conversation. You know, when I think about my grandparents' generation, many of them, and even my my parents' generation, many of them are essentially were able to graduate from high school or college and they found a job with a company, and it was common for them to work for that company for, the rest for of their 25, yeah. 30, 35, 40 Absolutely. years. That doesn't happen anymore. That's just not the case. That is yeah. not the reality of the workforce today. So that's a different animal than the recent college graduate today who realistically is going to change jobs many times in their work career. In all likelihood, they're going to have you know, five to 10, maybe? Yeah, I think that's a statistic. I think the average is, I mean, millennials are still teasing themselves out as a generation, right? right? I think the oldest of us are, goodness, in their mid to late 30s. And uh, I think the average at this point is like five or six jobs. Yeah. And not just different jobs in the same career path, but like different careers entirely. Right. And some of that is reflected in the the so-called side hustle economy, of, well, yeah, I drive for Uber on the side or things like that, you know, those kinds of uh, add-ons. Now, some people do try to make a full living out of those kinds of positions, but many of the people who work in those are doing that on the side in addition to another full-time job that they probably yeah, have. In- including pastors. Yeah. I, I, am, I know a youth pastor in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who... Uh, has a full-time job at his church, and then will drive Uber sometimes for on, on, on the weekends to, to help make ends meet. And, and I, I believe him and his wife both work full-time, and they still feel the need to supplement their income with yeah. uh, this side hustle. And, of course, there are all sorts of economic factors that play into that too, right, in terms of if you can find a job that is uh, financially sustainable enough for maybe one spouse to work, and the other spouse to stay home, that's a different animal in which that used to be way more common. Yeah. Today's economy makes that much more challenging where there is the uh, often the need for both spouses to work at some level to provide. Now, I will say I would give a little bit of pushback on that because I think sometimes the kind of standard of living that is expected is higher than is necessary. And so in some cases, not all, in some cases, the dual spouses working is probably more a factor, more related to, we just really want a certain standard of living than it is, we just cannot survive on one spouse's salary. Now, I don't say that, again, that's just general observations. Obviously, uh, that's not a criticism. I don't know enough about many people's financial situations to have any sort of opinion on whether that's them. But I also know of uh, families who live on very low salaries 
because they're committed to the wife staying home and, and raising the kids or things like that. And they're not making very much money, but they find ways to make it work and make it doable. Whereas others would look at that same income and go, there's no way. How am yeah. I supposed to, how, how are we supposed to live on $35,000 a year? Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy, but I know families who do it. So again, that's not a value judgment. I think before the Lord, every family has to kind of put that together. Every married couple has to put that together for themselves. But uh, I think that the, we've probably covered some of those. We, we, we want to talk about some of the cultural pressures, societal. Let's talk a little bit now on the biblical end of things. When you think of the the concept of work, what yeah. are some of those biblical texts or biblical uh, themes or theological doctrines that kind of inform your understanding biblically of work or how we as Christians should think about work? Yeah, I, I think the first place I go naturally is Genesis 2, um, where God places Adam in the garden to work uh, mm-hmm. and to, to keep it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, that shows us a couple of things, that work happened before the fall. Yep. Um, and I think we could probably draw out from there the a new creation when God, you know, remakes the world, that there will be work there also. Yeah. I think there's actually explicit mention of that in Revelation 22. All right. And then uh, I, I think, I think uh, what else we could bring about out of that is that work is something necessary for humans, yes. uh, for, for, for us to really... Be human, it means to work uh, at some yeah. level. It's a created good thing. Yes. It's it's absolutely a good thing. And so, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's at least some listeners who might, when they hear, wait a minute, we're going to be working in the new heavens and the new earth? Yes. But that's a good thing. Yeah. And it, I think sometimes, and you and I have even done this in this conversation, work isn't just limited to a 40-hour-a-week job or right. a, or a 50-hour-a-week job, whatever it may be. It's it's really the totality of our—oh, uh, boy, I said a good word and then lost my train of thought. Uh, the totality <laughs> of our uh, 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 playing into society and, and yeah. raising children and, and uh, uh, keeping things together and, and working with our families and, and doing things like that. And I think that— when you consider, I would even push back into Genesis 1 in the creation mandate of be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over, and subdue it. All of that is embedded, uh, has work embedded in it in sure. terms of exercising God's active reign over creation through uh, through our efforts. And so when you consider in Genesis 1... I think that the focus in Genesis 1 is God creating humanity as a sort of royal—to have a royal function, a royal role, to exercise authority, to subdue, but but to steward. The, the sort of gracious, um, kind, benevolent work that is for the good of others and for the good of creation. Mm-hmm. And then in Genesis 2, which you mentioned, there's— another element to it of almost a priestly nature, I think, in terms of through us, God mediates his presence. And so our work in this world is intended to have both a sort of royal and priestly capacity. And that's not just what I do every Monday through Friday for, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. But that's a broader concept of all of our efforts in this world, really, 
to uh, reflect God's image through those functions. So how is Adam doing that? So in the in the garden, right, Adam is given this, this high calling, priestly royal, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, what is he doing to, uh, to work in the garden? Well, I think that you see one initial task that God gives him is the naming of the animals there at the end of Genesis 2, that, that in one sense that's kind of the, the first tangible thing you see Adam doing is to, to mm-hmm. name. And really there is a sense in which that's, that's a, a, a function of exercising authority to name these creatures. Uh, when it comes to the description itself in Genesis 2, there's the idea of to, uh, to work and to keep it. And I think while that goes beyond what it just sort of being a gardener, so to speak, that it, it, it at least includes that, that he would, he and eventually Eve were to be responsible for the upkeep of the garden, which I think you can determine based on the text and other biblical texts that that is in fact God's sanctuary. That's the place where God's Mm going to dwell with, with humanity. And so their, their job is to protect the purity of it, but also to beautify it, I think, to, to keep it in order through their efforts. And really, Eden, if you think about this, Eden was only one small part of the creation at that point. So their 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 role was in part to expand the boundaries of Eden by bringing what was wild under their dominion yeah. and under their authority. Those raw creation materials yeah. on, on the outside, taking those and, and refining those. And maybe that's even a picture of what we do, yeah. right? Right. We take raw creation materials and, and fashion and form them into useful, useful things. Right. And and that includes this idea includes both i think the creation of things creation small c we don't create from nothing only sure. god does but those raw materials but also the service piece that the way that we interact with others and the things that we do for others so work is not just the production of a product it's also the uh the serving of others the caring for others the doing something for the benefit of others so that it's not just, well, yeah, that's to be creative is, is just to make stuff. No, to be creative is also to take what has already been you know, created and use it for the benefit of others. So it's not just about the bottom line. Correct. It's, it's about the, the service of humankind, if we could put it right. that way. And, and what makes work so difficult now is the result of the fall. And even when you look at yeah. the, the punishment in Genesis 3, part of what God says to Adam is, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to toil and labor, and thorns and thistles are going to come up. The, the ground is going to resist your efforts. Now that sin is present in creation, there is this uh, pushback. There's this resistance. And so that's what makes work hard, frustrating, difficult, that makes us think, oh, I just want a break from it. Yeah. Well, really, you you don't want a break from it. What you want is a release from the things that make it difficult and make it hard and make it frustrating. And that's part of the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth is that you will still have work to do, but every single thing that makes life difficult in terms of work will be gone. Yeah. So all the limitations mm of your lack of abilities or the sin that results oftentimes from having to work with other people and the conflict that comes about, just the sheer physical fatigue that comes from putting in effort 
that is met by resistance, all of that is gone in the new creation. So if you think about what do you most enjoy doing in terms of thinking about work, that's what it's going to be like without any sort of resistance put forward in the new creation. No, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah, so it's not like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven to rest. Well, there's an re- element of rest there, but part of that doesn't mean a cessation of activity. Sure. Just like when it says God rested on the seventh day, he didn't stop doing things. It just men- means that his creation is complete at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. And that... that um <clears throat> on the seventh day, that rest is continual, right? That yes. seventh day does not end uh, in the Genesis account, which is fascinating. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that <sighs> we, we could, could still going. go, yeah, but we, uh, we need to... part two. Yeah, yeah. so um, I think that maybe it would be good for us to give a couple of recommendations for our listeners in terms of books where they could pursue some of these ideas a little bit more. So we'll start with, I know you've got one in mind. Yeah, I actually have two. Uh, Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor uh, is, uh, I think, a, a beautiful work. He has a center for faith and work in New York City that that uh, does a lot of thinking about this topic, about how faith interacts with our work. Uh, and then uh, and then I'd also say Tom Nelson, uh, I believe, uh, wrote a book called Work Matters. Um, and in okay. there he sort of gives a, a pastoral account of, of uh, why work is a good thing. Gotcha. How about yourself? Yeah, the only one I'd add to that that uh, comes to mind really is uh, Jim Hamilton's book uh, called Work and Our Labor in the Lord. It's in the series by Crossway called Short Studies in Biblical Theology. So that gives just a good biblical framework for um, understanding how we should think about work and, and how it fits into things. And uh, I think that's a, a good a good place to to start those those three would be good good books Absolutely. To, to, to work yeah. with. So, all right. Well, we've come to the uh, segment of the program where we pick an athlete to chat about just briefly. In episode eight, uh, Matt, who wore the number eight? Yeah. So, in terms of uh, athletes for that, it seems to be probably narrowed down to Kobe Bryant, Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, legendary baseball player, shortstop for the Orioles. And third baseman. He moved over to third base at the end of his career. And he holds the Major League Baseball record, I forget the exact number, for most consecutive games played in. He broke, uh, I believe it was Lou Gehrig's record, which was 2,130 consecutive games. I forget what Cal Ripken Jr. ended up landing on, but it was more than that. And you think about... A baseball season having 162 games. Even number. <laughs> Even number. And the fact that inevitably there were at least a few years in there where they made the playoffs, and he obviously played in those. That Just the 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 model of longevity that that is is, is pretty striking. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then two NFL quarterbacks warrant mention here. You've got uh, Steve Young from the primarily the 49ers. I know he started off in, in Tampa Bay, which yeah, BYU, BYU grad, right? Yes, and played in the XFL, I believe, for at least a year or two. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, USFL, not XFL. Okay, I was the about ori- to say, I was like, the, huh. The original USFL. Yes, That's yes, I didn't know that about Steve. Yes. And then the other number eight, Troy Aikman, quarterback yeah. for the Dallas Cowboys, won three Super Bowls? I believe three Super Bowls, yeah. With and, that power yeah. team of Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. And now is a... Uh, Contributor in the booth. Yes, he and uh, and and uh, Joe Buck. Yeah, him and Joe Buck. Yeah. 
So, mm. and then you know, there's really not a lot of Ohio State players to pick from from that. So, uh, just a brief shout out to Stanley Jackson, Steve Belisari, and Devere Posey. But quite frankly, there's just not much to work with there. So, so when we come back to the professional athlete. Thoughts on of those four that we mentioned where we're going to land here? Uh, yeah, I think in light of Kobe Bryant's memorial being yesterday, uh, I think yeah. it's hard not to go with Kobe. It is hard. And, you know, he is arguably one of the 10 greatest NBA yeah. players of all time. Yeah. I think you can at least generously say 10 greatest. So I think... You know, we, we could pick him back up at 24. He did wear that number. But just in terms of the timeliness of it, it seems almost uh, sacrilegious not to go with Kobe today. So. I, I agree, yeah. All right, so we're down to our one thing we liked this week. John, what's your one thing that you liked? Yeah, I ran across this app called uh, Audem, A-U-D-M. Okay. Uh, I'm not actually sure that's how it's pronounced, but I think it's a safe bet. Okay. Uh, and basically what they do is they take uh, news publications, uh, whether it's from The Atlantic, uh, New York Times, New York Magazine, and uh, have somebody read them and so you can listen to them on audio. And so it's long-form journalism that can be listened to. Uh, so when we did the David Brooks article last week, I listened to that on this app. Uh, they have a free trial for about three days, uh, but it ends up being, I think, two or three bucks a month, and you get the main okay. articles from several different magazines, which gotcha. is which is pretty nice. Yeah, that's helpful. That's uh, something else to check out there. So it's subscription based, then. It is. It is, and it's one of those things. If you pay for a year, you get far cheaper than sure. if you pay month by month. Sort sure. Of thing. Yeah. Okay. How about yourself? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with an experience this past weekend. Uh, my son Jake is a sports management major here at Grace. And he, as part of his duties, occasionally gets to do the internet broadcast of both uh, men's and women's basketball here at Grace. Oh, very nice. And so uh, since I have some sports broadcasting in my own background, (laughs) way back in the day, way back in the day, we decided it would be a fun experience to do a game together. So this past weekend, we broadcast the Lady Lancers game against the Mount Vernon Nazarene University Lady Cougars. And that was just a fun experience to do that with Jake and to get back to some of my uh, sports broadcasting roots. So fun experience. Yeah. 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 And then uh, so we'll see if maybe in the future we'll we'll revive that partnership. Did I also see you coach a intramural <laughs> basketball team last night? I did. I coached an intramural basketball team to a uh, to a championship last night. Wow! So, yes. So the Indy Hall uh, f- second floor guys have uh, have been dominating the intramural scene here at Grace. And last night was the championship game, and I had about probably five or six of them in my New Testament <laughs> class, and I've been joking with them about their success and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they had joked about having me on the team, and I said, well, how about how about I come coach? I'll yeah. come for the championship game. So I did it right. I, I put on the, the sport coat, the tie. I brought the, the clipboard for to drop plays. Did you slam the clipboard down at all? I didn't get a chance to. Uh. Now, here's the thing. I was I was ready. If the game would have been enough of a margin at the end, towards the end, I was going to get teed up. I was going to go out of my way <laughs> to get teed up. Unfortunately, the game was a little closer than that allowed. So 
Indy 2 still won, but... Uh, so when does the banner go up? When is the ring sizing? Yeah, When's I, the ring ceremony? I, I'm still waiting to hear back uh, about some of those logistics, but, uh, you know, the picture's up on social media, so... Okay, it, yeah. You know, it really happened, so that uh, that was a fun experience as well. That's a good group of guys, and I, I really enjoyed that, so... And the fact that I'm no longer coaching actively gave me a chance to kind of scratch that coaching itch a little bit without any obligation or commitment so yeah no practices right yes (laughs) practice talking about practice well we've done it again yeah we have wandered across our various and sundry topics and so until next time the lord bless y'all real good later